Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Well, we're very pleased to welcome Sue Devereaux. Um, she's from Equine Acupuncture and Chiropractic Referrals, and she's been involved in providing electroacupuncture treatment for head shaking in horses. Um, hello, welcome, Sue. Hello, Claire. It's nice to talk to you. You too. So um, this study that you have reported in equine veterinary education um, seems really interesting as an, um, a, an option for head shaking in horses. Firstly, please, could you tell us a bit about what is known about the causes of head shaking? Yes, absolutely. Well, there are many causes, but trigeminal-mediated head shaking occurs due to hypersensitivity of the trigeminal nerve, which supplies sensation to the face, the nose, and the mouth. And this hypersensitivity means that the stimuli that are normally innocuous cause the nerve to fire and the horse experiences neuropathic pain, which can range from mild to severe. The condition has similarities with trigeminal neuralgia in people who describe intermittent or persistent sensations of tingling, burning, stabbing or electric shock-like pain in the area innervated by the trigeminal nerve and this is thought to result in the characteristic signs of head flicking, nose rubbing, striking at the face and anxiety in affected horses. Now, the difficulty is that the actual cause of this hypersensitivity is not known and the triggers for nerve firing vary from horse to horse. They commonly include environmental stimuli such as sunlight, wind, raindrops, snowflakes, midges, noise and pollen, but there are also handling triggers such as removing or changing a face mask, tightening a noseband, applying a twitch and cutting off the horse's whiskers. But the most common trigger of all is exercise and this is thought to be due to increased blood flow and air currents within the nasal cavity, air turbulence in the ethmoidal region and increased amounts of inhaled dust and pollen, all of which stimulate nociceptors in susceptible horses. Okay, so is it possible to identify what is the cause in any particular case? Um, yes, um, hypersensitivity of the trigeminal nerve in head-shaking horses was demonstrated in work published in 2013 and 14 by Ailman and colleagues. What they did is they used six head-shaking horses and another six normal horses as controls. With the horses under general anaesthetic, they applied an electrical stimulus to the gum close to the maxillary canine tooth, and they measured the intensity of stimulus required to trigger a sensory nerve action potential at recording sites along the infraorbital and maxillary branches of the nerve. It was shown that head-shaking horses have a significantly lower stimulus threshold to stimulate sensory nerve action potentials than healthy horses. Um, it was 2.5 to 5 milliamps for head-shaking horses and between 10 and 20 for control horses. So this confirms that head-shaking horses are more responsive to minimal stimuli, but we still don't know why this occurs and the exact, what the exact mechanism is for nerve activation. The 
Other evidence for head shaking being trigeminal mediated comes from studies using local anesthesia of the posterior ethmoidal branches of the trigeminal nerve. Newton and colleagues in 2000 demonstrated that in 13 out of 17 head shaking horses, there was an immediate improvement. And in 11 of these, there was a 90 to 100% reduction in clinical signs. And Roberts and colleagues also reported a positive result in 23 of 27 cases more recently in 2012. So this suggests that the trigger zone lies in the caudal nasal cavity. However, this nerve block isn't specific for a diagnosis of head shaking because, of course, all areas innervated by the nerve will be anaesthetized. And it may be at this site more than one sensory branch of the trigeminal nerve is involved. Okay. So are there any other conditions that could cause head shaking and how would you rule them out? Well, um, yes, indeed. There are many other reasons why horses will shake their heads. And it's important to investigate and include other physical causes before considering treatment with electroacupuncture, which should be reserved for those with suspected trigeminal mediated head shaking. These conditions include oral or dental issues, temporomandibular joint pain, eye, ear or upper respiratory tract disease and nasal tumours. And head shaking can also be caused by bit, bridle and saddle fit problems, many of which are very common, together with musculoskeletal issues such as pole, neck and back pain and of course lameness. So before treatment was considered, a detailed medical history was obtained for each horse and a comprehensive clinical examination was performed. And this included a dental and oral inspection, examination of the eyes and ears, palpation of the whole body to detect any areas of discomfort and assessment of the fit of their saddle and bridle. The horses were observed at rest in the stable, then on the lounge and where appropriate ridden. Then nasal pharyngeal endoscopy, including the guttural pouches and trachea, was performed. If there was any suspicion of dental or sinus pathology, radiographs of the head were taken, and a CT scan was offered, but five of the six owners declined this due to the cost. And in fact, in a recent study where over 100 head-shaking horses underwent a CT scan, a possible cause was identified in only a very small number. So where cost is a factor, um, a CT scan is not part of my routine diagnostic protocol. And any problems that were identified during these treat assessments were treated prior to the start of electroacupuncture. Okay. So from the case descriptions from the horses included in this study, it demonstrated that there were a wide range of treatments that were trialled for head shaking in these cases. Are there any kind of efficacy studies done on any of the methods that are reported for head shaking? Yes, there are. Um, two of the simplest and most effective treatments are the use of the ultraviolet blocking face mask and or the nose net. And Mills and Taylor in 2003 trialled three different types of nose net on 36 head shaking horses. 75% of owners reported some improvement with each net and around 60% recorded a 50% or greater improvement and 30% a 70% or greater improvement. 
Unpublished observations from Pickles and colleagues show face masks to be similarly affected, but in either case, complete elimination of head shaking is rare. The benefit of nose nets and face masks are that in addition to blocking ultraviolet light, they give some protection from wind, dust, pollen, and thermal radiation from the sun. They also stimulate touch and pressure receptors in the skin, the axons of which synapse with terminals of small unmyelinated true pain fibers in the dorsal horn of the spinal cord, subjecting them to presynaptic inhibition. And then, as far as medication goes, there are two drugs that are commonly used. Carbamazepine is an anticonvulsant drug that works by decreasing nerve impulses that cause seizures and pain. In humans, it's successfully treated to use the severe facial pain caused by trigeminal neuralgia. A disadvantage for us is that it has to be given four times a day. Then there's ciproheptidine, which is an antihistamine that's used in people to treat vascular and cluster headaches. There's quite a lot of studies with these two drugs, which can be used on their own or in combination in the horse, but the reported success is extremely variable. Um, there's limited pharmacokinetic or safety data for the horse, and lethargy and drowsiness have been reported as side effects. In man, these drugs have side effects, including dizziness, drowsiness, loss of balance and incoordination, also double or blurred vision. And I think this just has to be considered when prescribing them to horses. Um, I think the effects are sometimes short-lived and do wear off, but we should be aware of them. Yes, most definitely. Okay, so thank you for summarising that. Can you tell us a bit about how electro acupuncture works and which cases of head shaking is it suitable for? Absolutely. Well, both acupuncture and electroacupuncture have wide-ranging physiological effects in the body um, beyond the modulation of pain. So this inevitably is a very simplified explanation. Um, Acupuncture, electroacupuncture modulates perception of afferent nociceptive stimuli by inhibiting the afferent pain signals and by activation of descending inhibitory pathways. The pain signals experienced by the horses are transmitted from the periphery to the brain along thin unmyelinated C fibers. These project into a region of the dorsal horn of the spinal cord, known as the substantia gelatinosa, where they excite pain pathways, which ultimately reach the cerebral cortex and give the sensation of severe pain. So stimulation of the C fibers is said to open the gate to pain. And our current understanding is that there are two ways in which electroacupuncture can close the gate to pain. Firstly, Electroacupuncture stimulates A-delta nerve fibers, and these excite short inhibitory interneurons in the substantia gelatinosa. The interneurons release opioid peptides that inhibit transmission of nociceptive impulses in the active C activated C-fibers to the brain. This is a localized segmental response, and the needle needs to be inserted in the sensory field of the affected nerve. 
Then, secondly, the A-delta fibres also pass impulses onto the brain where the pinprick sensation of pain will be perceived by the cerebral cortex. But they also have branches to the periaqueductal grey matter of the midbrain where they stimulate nerve fibres that release neurotransmitters, which include serotonin, that have a downward influence leading to further release of the opioid peptides in the substantia gelatinosa on all levels of the spinal cord. And this is known as diffuse noxious inhibitory control. Um, I just have to... Um, add at this stage that there's some debate as to whether the use of an opioid sedative such as butorphanol reduces the effect of electroacupuncture, but I've been using it for nearly 20 years and don't have any concerns that that is the case. What cases is it suitable for? Well, it's suitable for most cases of trigeminal-mediated head shaking with no known cause, but it's also suitable for horses with trigeminal neuralgia due to dental or sinus pathology where head shaking doesn't resolve or is indeed temporarily aggravated by successful treatment of the underlying condition. However, there are a few cases where the head shaking is so extreme and the horses are so dangerous that there's a real risk of people being injured. And I've had two horses like this referred to me, and each case when I broached the subject of euthanasia, the owners were very relieved and gratefully took that option. So I don't treat every horse with electroacupuncture. Okay. So... Thinking about electroacupuncture and its effects, is there any literature from the human research that suggests this has efficacy and how it's working? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's quite a lot of evidence and a review of the literature suggests that there's at least a 50% efficacy of electroacupuncture in human patients with trigeminal neuralgia and the mechanism of action is very similar. Okay, so that's encouraging. So <clears throat> could you tell us a bit about the range of cases that you tested in this study? Um, yes, indeed. Um, I think it would be helpful if I just explained the grading system to you first. Yes, please. Um, basically, um, we divided it into four categories of head shaking. Grade zero is no head shaking at all at any time. Grade one is occasional mild signs and riding is still enjoyable for both the horse and the rider. Grade two is moderate signs, which causes the horse some distress and riding's not particularly enjoyable for the rider. And grade three is severe signs where the horse is unrideable or dangerous. So, Horse one was a 15-year-old Chacrana mare used for dressage competitions. She'd been seasonally effective for three years prior to the start of the study and was unrideable through the spring and summer months until late October. Her known trigger factors were sunlight, rape pollen and stress. The head shaking that was graded at two to three occurred mostly at exercise but was sometimes seen in the stable or field. Horse two was a very fit 22-year-old Shetland pony mare that was used for driving as single and also as one of a pair. 
She started head shaking the previous year between June and September. At the start of treatment in April 2015, she was graded at two to three, both at exercise and in the stable. Her triggers were sunlight, midges, and removing or changing her face mask. Horse three was an eight-year-old, 18-hand KWPN gelding used for eventing. He'd been with his owners for two years when he began head shaking in May 2015. The trigger for this horse was bright light, and the head shaking occurred at exercise only. Horse four was a 13-year-old New Forest eventing pony gelding. The head shaking, which began in July 2015, occurred both in the stable and the exercise, but it was very well controlled by the use of a nose net, but this wasn't allowed under FEI rules. Known triggers for this pony were midges, having his whiskers trimmed, and anxiety. <clears throat> Horse five was a five-year-old KWPN gelding, which was purchased to bring on as an all-rounder. He started head shaking in September 2015 with variable grades between one and three. He'd become unmanageable for his teenage owner and was no longer ridden. At the first assessment, he was very distressed on the lunge with violent vertical flicks of the head, interspersed with almost continual rubbing of his nose along the ground. And finally, horse six was a seven-year-old Dutch warm-blood mare. She started head-shaking three weeks after purchase from a dealer in May of 2016. At the start of treatment in June 2016, she presented with a very severe grade three in the stable, on the lunch, and in the field. It was extremely difficult to handle her, and she was certainly not rideable. In fact, there were only short moments where she didn't show frantic head shaking, and these occurred when she was either eating or lying down. Her main triggers were sunlight, putting on a head collar, and removing a fly mask, and she couldn't tolerate her head being touched at all. Okay, so a real range of cases there, and some quite severe as well. Um, yes, yeah. indeed. So, could you describe how you um, perform the treatment for these horses? The paper describes a range of different mm -hmm. um, longevities of treatment and perhaps some re repetition as well in some cases. Is this something that would be easy to implement in practice? Yes, indeed. Um, the treatment was carried out each time in the stable with the horse sedated with Detomidine and Butorphanol. Um, the horse needs to be standing comfortably with its head supported on padded bales of bedding or some other suitable surface. There's no need to clip or swab the site, but I do ask in advance for the horse's head and neck to be clean and dry. Then the infraorbital nerve was palpated and an acupuncture needle was slid underneath it, going from medial to lateral and rostrally, around about two to three centimetres rostral to the infraorbital foramen. A second needle was placed in the brachiophallic muscle at the base of the neck on the same side of the horse. And the electroacupuncture unit was set to use alternating frequencies of 2 hertz or 80 or 100 hertz, alternating every three seconds. 
the leads from the electroacupuncture unit were clipped onto the handles of the needles. The unit was switched on and the intensity of stimulation was very slowly increased in 0.1 milliamp increments until the nostrils started to twitch. Once this occurred, the intensity was slowly increased further to a level where the twitch was easily visible, but not causing the horse any distress, and it was left on for approximately 25 minutes. Within each treatment session, the intensity of stimulation sometimes needed to be increased to maintain the same level of nostril twitch, and if everything was going well, then I would treat the other side of the face at the same time. At the end of treatment, the owners are given instructions for the immediate management of the horse, and this depends on the weather and the known trigger factors for the particular patient. So, for example, if the head shaking was triggered by raindrops, we wouldn't turn the horse out into rain immediately afterwards. And the owners would then ask for a daily report by email with the horse's name, the date, head shaking grades that rest and exercise, the weather conditions, the exercise type and duration, plus any other observations because we're always looking to learn and try to understand more about the trigger factors. And record sheets were supplied to the owners for this purpose. And ridden exercise could be undertaken the next day unless the head shaking remains severe. Is this something that would be easy to implement in practice? And what about positioning? Yeah, um, it would definitely be easy to implement and it doesn't have high setup costs. All you need are some acupuncture needles and an electroacupuncture unit. A suitable one can be purchased for under £300. The procedure could be carried out by ambulatory vets in their daily work because the equipment's lightweight, battery-operated and easily portable. And this would mean that many more horses could be treated and it also avoids the need for these distressed horses to travel into a veterinary practice. One tip I would give is that when you start, it's important to make sure that the horse is adequately sedated while you gain confidence in needle placement. Um, in 150 needle placements, I haven't had a single horse object to it, but you definitely get quicker as your experience increases, and that's when it becomes possible to treat both sides of the face at the same time without topping up the sedation. And the treatment isn't at all painful for the horse, as quite a lot of my patients are waking up and looking around in the final minutes of treatment. As far as positioning accuracy goes for the needle, that's relatively straightforward because the nerve is so easily palpable and it's the tip of the needle that needs to be positioned close to but not actually touching the infraorbital nerve. The time to be careful is initially when you're increasing the intensity of stimulation to obtain a muscle twitch. If the first movement you see is the whole head jerking rather than the nostril twitch, then the needle is too close to the infraorbital nerve and this stimulation is painful. You need to put the power off, reposition the needle slightly. This can usually be done without withdrawing it completely from the skin and it doesn't happen very often. How did yeah. you decide when follow-up treatment was necessary? 
Well, in the early stages of treatment, if there was no remission, then the next treatment would be given four to seven days later. If there was a period of remission, then the follow-up treatment would be given as soon as the clinical signs recurred because we wanted to try and limit further sensitization of the nerve. Later on, when longer remission times were established, the horses were treated if there was any head shaking at all for more than 24 hours. It wasn't done immediately on the first day because some horses showed mild signs for a single day before entering another quite long period of remission. Okay, so were there any side effects among any of these cases or any others? Um, no serious side effects and they were very rare. When I first started, I was worried that the treatment would exacerbate the condition. I do explain this to the clients, that this is a possibility, and I ask them to sign a consent form. But out of the many treatments performed to date, there have been just two occasions when a horse showed mild ticks at rest following the treatment. One occurred immediately after the treatment and one occurred the following day, but these both resolved within a couple of hours. Now, horse six was a difficult case. She was the most severely affected in the study and she was possibly further sensitized by the first two treatments, not immediately, but the following day. And this was extremely hard to watch. It was avoided in subsequent treatments by reducing the stimulus intensity and treatment time. Okay. So with these cases and from your experience, can you summarise the outcomes seen in this study? Yes, I would say that it's encouraging. Um, horse 1 and 2 were known to be seasonal head shakers. Horse 1 responded well. She received five treatments in 2015, with remission time starting at 10 days after the first treatment and extending to 21 and 23 weeks. She resumed ridden work the day after each procedure and competed successfully in affiliated dressage competitions throughout the 19-month trial period, which actually included two summers. In 2016, she started head shaking again in May and a single treatment gave longer term remission until the end of the study period in October. And I can now add that in 2017, she had one treatment in February and one in March. It was thought that the head shaking recurred due to very mild weather at the time. And then she remained free of head shaking for the rest of 2017. Horse to the Shetland Pony, she needed five treatments in 2015. These initially reduced her head shaking to grade one, but they didn't completely eliminate it until the fifth treatment, which was in June. As expected, she went into remission over the winter, but started head shaking again in May of 2016. She was given a single treatment then, and she remained in remission for the rest of the year. And in 2017, she hasn't required any treatment at all, showing that this pony has entered a much longer remission. Horse 3, the Aventer, needed four treatments in 2015. They were given at intervals of six days, 12 days, and 10 weeks. 
there was then a 20-week gap until May 2016 where a single treatment kept him head sh- free of head shaking apart from occasional single days. Horse 4 needed more frequent treatments which reduced the clinical signs but didn't completely eliminate the head shaking. He went lame and was then lost to follow up unfortunately. Horse 5 had a total of seven treatments over the 19-month period, and the longest remission times were seven weeks and 14 weeks. During this time, he was able to be ridden and resume his training, but ultimately his owners didn't want to deal with the unpredictability and the ongoing cost. And then... As discussed earlier with horse six, the condition was aggravated by the first two treatments, which were given four days apart. But after the third treatment, she had a short period of complete remission with no head shaking that lasted for three days. Following the fourth treatment, she was able to be ridden for the first time. And following a fifth treatment, she was ridden regularly and slightly competed in riding club activities. Unfortunately, the longest remission times for her were only five weeks and eight weeks, and these were interspersed with shorter ones. The decision was actually made to euthanize her when, after an eight-week period of remission, she was found head-shaking in her box one morning, um, once again in severe distress, and we all felt it wasn't fair to continue. I have to um, just say, these horses are extremely emotionally draining for their owners, and the owners require a lot of time and support from their vets, as well as treatment for their horses. Yes, certainly, because I'd, I'd imagine it'd be quite difficult for them to manage day to day if this was, a, you know, in, particularly in severe cases. And yes, I think um, they, um, I would say that many, uh, the owners I've dealt with um, are extremely brave and all of them without fail just want the best for their horses. But um, when head shaking is severe, it's extremely distressing to watch it. And um, they, yeah, it takes, a, it does take a toll on them. Yeah. So again, that's another thing to consider with the um, treatment and the um, pathway for these cases I suppose that to be aware of that additional need for owners for support as well so yes yeah. yes it can take um, quite a bit of time um, and I think you do have to make yourself available to these owners um, I I did find that um, I was always on call for them but of course that was the whole purpose of the trial and that was what I was there for so um, you know that was that was the point of it. Yeah. Okay. So, f- from the discussion previously about the different treatments available, how do you think that electroacupuncture compares with those other ones in terms of its efficacy? Well, um, my goal for treatment was to eliminate head shaking altogether or to eliminate it for a lengthy period of time and of the six horses in the study this was achieved for three of them. For the other three horses the electroacupuncture was a management tool that had to be used quite regularly. The horses in the trial 
weren't pre-selected in any way. They were just the first six horses that were referred to me for treatment, and they all responded to a degree. But electroacupuncture doesn't work in every case. I've treated two horses subsequently where the treatment appeared to go really well, but the horses showed no response whatsoever. So at present, I think that both electroacupuncture and PENS treatments have potential, but more work needs to be done in order to try and achieve better results. We could start by testing different frequencies and pulse durations of the electroacupuncture unit and also try stimulating um, other branches of the trigeminal nerve in addition to the infraorbital. And this work is continuing. Fabulous, and that's really encouraging that, um, that that's something that's potential for the future. So thank you ever so much, Sue, for describing the treatment in these horses. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. You're welcome, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about my work. Thank you for listening to this equine veterinary education podcast more on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash eve <laughs>